names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own songs so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. Welcome to Escaping Society, episode 53, Pretending, an interview with Gumby. I'm Teresa. I'm Gumby. And so we have all the requisite people here. That's great. Um, Last season, Gumby interviewed moi. And so to be fair, (laughs) and because people are interested in what Gumby has to say and what he's about, I thought that I would interview him this season. You look like you're going to say something. (laughs) Because he's the love of my life. Mm. The apple of my eye. Okay, so the first question... Oh, and by the way, um, just like how we did my interview, he picked out three questions ahead of time. I picked out three questions and told him ahead of time. And then there's three questions that are kind of... He doesn't know. So, um, here we go. Gumby, I know that reading is a big part of your life. So what are you reading these days, and what's been on your mind lately? Why, Teresa, I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) Well, right now I'm reading Deep Green Resistance by Eric McBay, Lear, Keith, and Derek Jensen. And it's one of those, uh, like, things you download. Like, we got it on the iPad because, of course, we can't use the library right now. Yeah, I donated – you can donate, I guess, any amount. I think I donated, like, $5 or something. Yeah. Well, I do recommend the book, but also I'm critical of a lot of what I'm reading. Um, one thing that strikes me is how they warn against alienating people, but then proceed to be as divisive as the liberal left. Mm. Um, I actually think a lot of anarchists are really liberal leftists if you scratch the surface. Instead of incorporating wild tending, people who promote personal changes and others as valid parts of a resistance, they dismiss them in what reads to me like a, a condescending attitude. In one part, Keith even argues against other movements by saying they didn't work. Well, I'm still waiting to see if any of her suggestions work to effectively <laughs> combat civilization. Um, and as Kaczynski points out, should that even really be our target? You know, they're still using this uh, language of like taking down civilization. And I think Kaczynski makes a really good point of, um, you know, like targeting industrial society. Because he points out, how are you going to stop people from gathering into really large groups, a.k.a. cities, and... Uh, Without using the technology. Yeah, and using agriculture, without using, you know, like, the technology to monitor the citizens. So Mm -hmm. you just kind of take over the role of the bad guys. So I'm not sure civilization is a really good target. So that's one thing that jumps out at me. Um, So, yeah, I'm still waiting to see if any of uh, Keith's suggestions work to effectively combat civilization or save species from dying. (laughs) Um, They express dire urgency and suggest detailed resistance strategies So why aren't any dams or bridges or major pipelines being destroyed? If their ideas work, what the hell are they waiting for? And if not, where do they get off being so critical of other forms of resistance? I believe personal change, modeling how to live without civilization, is crucial. And survival skills are briefly mentioned in the book, but don't blink or you'll miss it. Mm. Meanwhile, 
We've got Jensen lamenting over and over that he won't get off his ass to learn the bird songs or edible plants of his area, or how to build his own home, or even arrogantly, um, he dismissed the idea of, I quote, sleeping in pine branches while he searches for an electric blanket on his Facebook page. (laughs) There is a middle way, Derek, like, say, I don't know, a fucking blanket that doesn't need to be plugged into a fucking wall? Sleeping bag. The sleeping bag. There are ways to warm yourself independent of industrial society, and it's stupid to ignore, much less deride them. And if you really want, you could use plastic bags to make a sleeping bag. There you go. And their critique of Daniel Quinn was interesting. Um, they ha- say his solution to is to abandon civilization. And then they ask, where would we go? And I think that's a really good point. Uh, many of Quinn's followers wriggle out of even that effort and instead promote some vague change of consciousness which is a pretty sweet deal. You get to keep benefiting from mother culture, risk nothing, and just urge everyone to read Ishmael. (laughs) And let's not forget that Quinn got about as far as abandoning, as far abandoning taker culture as McBay, Keith, and Jensen have gotten in taking down civilization. Mm. That's one thing I like about the advocates of personal change. You can make real tangible progress in freeing yourself from industrial society. Is that enough? No. But I believe it's a crucial step not to be ignored. Kaczynski role-modeled this well, and I hope to be able to read his book soon. Um, I enjoy and appreciate and recommend and benefit from reading these books written by intellectuals, you know, the Athenians. But I think we need more role models, Spartans, people who walk their talk. So, um, what else has been on my mind? That was the rest of your question, right? Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of doers, I'm thinking more about what comes next for us. Um, It's almost hot enough for us to flee to the mountains, so I'm thinking about our stuff and how much we need. Um, Teresa's actually, like, downsizing from her storage unit right now, and we're doing, like, this free giveaway at a park this weekend, just taking our stuff there, letting as many people know as we can that it's going to be there. And, I mean, there's some sweet stuff there, like a guitar and just all kinds of stuff that we're just, like, moving on. If you hear about some sort of melee in uh, downtown Durham, that's probably probably me (laughs) on Sunday. Yeah, so we got that, and, you know, we're looking at our stuff, and I just scavenged a whole bunch of clothes that were, like, in a cart behind a thrift store. So I'm trying to, like, upgrade my clothes and downsize the stuff I don't need anymore. So I'm thinking about that. Um, I'm thinking about van maintenance. You know, we're having some trouble with the battery going dead pretty often with the doors open. So, like, I've tried this thing with the battery terminal, you know, got a new one to put that on, and hopefully that'll work. I took it to a... O'Reilly's. O'Reilly's. And they tested the battery and said it was bad. Now, a battery's expensive. So I asked him to test it again to make sure, and he said, yep, it's bad. And he kind of gave me this look like, oh, you know, of course it's going to say the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's a well, computer, for God's sake. Well, it turned out the last battery I bought was from Advanced Auto, so I ended up getting that battery, putting it back in my van, because it wasn't dead. It was registering as bad, but it was still starting my van. Drove it to Advance Auto, and sure enough, their computer said it was good. <laughs> so that's where I'm at with my van maintenance, and I got a squealy belt, and, you know, just, just trying to make sure that it's up to par for heading to the mountains, much less more of a road trip if we decide to take one sometime later. Um, I'm thinking about Sherlock. You know, it's tick season busting out here, and he's got ticks all over him. We've mm. been picking off ticks. He keeps, like, getting in the tall grass. And uh, just the smells, you know, of a wet dog, and he's getting older, and so, you know, mm. we're trying to figure out how to how to just deal with all this stuff, you know, in the van. It's a, kind of a rough time of year for that. 
with the bugs and the smells and everything before we get in the mountains. Then you get that cooler, drier air and it's easier. And we've scavenged drops. We've even asked people in our local area if they have any extra um, like flea and tick drops. But unfortunately, I mean, Sherlock is a he loves the water. And so those drops stay on all of about like a couple hours and then he's washed them off and God knows what that's doing to the water supplies. So it's a, it's a imperfect and often, um, and not even helpful to have those drops. So, um, and of course with these concerns, I have to think about like how to, how we're going to pay for it. Um, you know, not everything we scavenged like in just the right time, most of the stuff we do, but still there's those things like, especially with the van that you're going to have to fork over some dough. Um, we got an ad up in Craigslist that Teresa put up, like in Flagstaff, Arizona, she put one, and the two cities along in the mountains of North Carolina, you know, places that are cool enough that we could be there in our, our van over the summer, looking for short-term gigs. So hopefully something like that will come through, and that'll help. Um, I'm also expecting there to be a ton of emails about um, sexual things, because that's what Craigslist yeah, is usually about. That always happens. Oh, I should have asked you about that. So sometimes <laughs> I worry about my, whose interview is this? Hey, I, I just was thinking. Sometimes I worry about my health, you know, what else is on my mind. So, um, you know, especially with all this pandemic fear and carcinogens and chemicals everywhere. Um, but I work on just letting that go, just living until I die. You know, I mean, there's not much you can do about that. I, I, I think that drives a lot of people to like want the, the health insurance and everything. But hell, they still worry about their health too. You, you never get in a... A place in life that health is not a concern. Um, let's see. I also wonder what next in the bigger sense. Like, where do we go from here? You know, we never intended to just hole up in the van and stop there. We wanted the van to be a tool which helps us continue escaping society. So what's our next move? Uh, another road trip? Backpacking? Longer bushcraft trips in the woods? Panhandling? Busking? So we got to figure that out. It's so easy to stagnate. And there's a time for it, but then you've got to pick a direction and move again. I've been thinking about what it means to decolonize my mind, especially by changing my language. I'm trying to call all the entities around me peoples to remind me that they and we are, you know, like the stone people, um, the tree people. Um, I'm trying to not identify with my oppressors, as Jensen might say, by saying we and us regarding government, as in like we did this to, to the Philippines. Mm. Um Yet, I also want to remember that I do have my part in what's happening and not to ignore my responsibility either. I find a lot of people in the Jensen camp, I feel like, get too much into, I think, like, oh, it's not us. It's the government. We need to fight them. But my counterpoint to that has always been like, well, what are these corporations if we're not feeding them? I still believe a lot of that responsibility falls in our lap. We need to change our behavior. And then if you can do that then you can come from a place to combat them. And I don't mean necessarily like sequential, because I agree with Jensen and a lot of others that we can't wait for, you know, everybody to figure out how to live off the land again and everything. we got to start fighting now. But I also, I don't like the way they kind of, I don't know, to me sort of sneer at the people that are like trying to learn bushcraft and stuff. Because if you're trying to take down civilization, you better damn well know how to live without civilization. I mean, to me, that seems pretty obvious. Um, let's see, decolonizing my mind. Um, 
Well, we've both been trying to say the occupied lands of during our podcasts. Uh, I tend to, like, most of the time when I introduce a podcast episode, talk about where we're at. Teresa doesn't always do that as much, but when we do say it, you know, I like that practice. Um, I started getting paranoid. <laughs> well, that's another reason to say the occupied lands of. Oh, it's a harder thing to decode. I reckon you're right. Um but during our podcast, and it, it fights the resignation that this is ours, you know, our manifest destiny, mm-hmm. to practice seeing and remembering who we are, how we got here, and what it means to be here living this way. Um, I'm trying to say Indians instead of the colonizing term Native Americans that I was taught, and to learn the names of tribes when I can. Uh, the list goes on and on. It's a lot of work, uh, a lot of bad indoctrination to correct. I'm also wondering about our responsibilities, uh, like my responsibility to my aging mom. She's getting old and, uh, you know, she um, lives in this, you know, rundown trailer and her balance isn't so good anymore. And, you know, it's just a hard thing in our culture, especially if you're walking a path like we do. You know, you're kind of hobos. It's like you don't have a tribe to have your back. You know, and if you come from a poor family like I do, they don't even have like the financial security to have their own back. So I'm trying to feel that out as I go. Um, But, yeah, that's been on my mind. What are my responsibilities? You know, it's not just as easy as just throwing caution and caution to the wind and running off and being a hobo. There are a lot of things to consider along the way. Um, And my responsibility to reject and or fight this culture. Like, should I be rejecting more, you know, striving harder not to have to put gas in my my van, you know, and to just completely break ties with our culture if if I can, or to fight, I mean, like really fight, you know, like guerrilla warfare, like down there in the trenches, like, you know, arming myself. Um, so yeah, I don't really have answers for that. We're feeling our way through it, escaping society. This whole podcast is part of our exploration of that. Um, but that's what's been on my mind lately. Well, thank you for sharing that. I, uh, I'm going to deviate from my list of questions to surprise you with. And I just think that this, I, I don't know what this is going to turn up. So I'll leave it open, um, for whatever you want to share. But, uh, I was thinking about that Craigslist, um, response that you got the one time, I think it was in the mountains, but what's, what's an outrageous or funny, uh, proposal or indecent proposal that you've gotten before from Craigslist or from whatever. <laughs> well, I mean, gosh, that is one that I <laughs> some preparation would have been awesome for. <laughs> First thing that popped in my head is when I was dating, um, you know, after I broke up with my First, I'd, I'd say serious girlfriend, you know, a really monogamous relationship. We were into each other. It fell apart. I didn't have any dating experience really before her, and I decided I was going to fix that. So I was going to, you know, no strings attached, try to have as much sex as I can, date, 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 nothing serious. So I would date somebody and try to move it along pretty quick. Mm. You know, like if if she was receptive to like, you know, being physically close, then I was all about that. So anyway, we're kind of getting, you know, snuggly and everything. She invites me over to her apartment. And uh, as we're about to, to, you know, proceed, um, she 
asks me to pretend like I'm her father. <laughs> oh my god! And she starts pretending like she's a little girl. Oh boy! And uh, that was one of the weirder experiences. <laughs> I was not prepared for that. I mean, I figured you know now's the time to experiment. Like that's what I'm I'm here for. So yeah, I didn't walk out. You know, so like that happened. But then she contacted me the next day and. I, in hindsight, I was a little too weirded out by the whole thing. I never responded to her. But, yeah, that was one of the weirder ones. What about pie? Oh. Oh, that was a leading question. That's what you wanted to hear about. I see. Well, it's so, always yeah. interesting. It's always interesting to hear how you respond. Well, I didn't really have a good response to this, as I recall, unless you're remembering something I don't. But this uh, posted a, a thing on Craigslist for the mountains again. You know, we did this last year, hoping to get a gig. And this guy responded and asked if I would be willing to show up at his house and fill up a pie with either like shaving cream or whipped cream. He assured me that we'd all have our clothes, that him and I would have our clothes on. And I was to talk to him for a while and then shove the pie in his face. And he assured me that it would be such a fun thing and we would laugh and I would walk away with like, I don't know, it was like 30 bucks or something. And I try to be open-minded. I really gave that some thought. I'm thinking like, you know, 30 bucks, that's, you know, the better part of a full tank of gas. So <laughs> let me consider that. But every time my mind went to it and just imagine this weirdo sitting there laughing his ass off with like pie stuff all over his face, I'm just like, and I can't do it. That's pie abuse. Yeah. I don't know what's weird about that. Maybe what's weird about that is me, but <laughs> something's weird about that. And I didn't want any part of that. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's what you get from Craigslist. So you got to screen out. Yeah. Um, all right. Getting back on track here. So you often pit yourself against the liberals, the leftists, and you've expressed views that some may find are politically incorrect, even racist or insensitive or homophobic. Why do the leftists get so much of your ire? And do you think you are any of these things? Meaning the things that I just named off. So be honest. Have you ever used the word ire before? I might have when I was high or something or drunk. I like that word. Mm. So, all right. This is a long, involved answer. So <clears throat> let me begin. Mm. Well, perhaps I take the leftists more personally because I used to identify as one of them. And have spent most of my adult life in a very left-leaning community. Um, I feel like I was hijacked by their propaganda and feel probably childishly betrayed. In high school, um, when I was in the ninth grade, the teacher gave this writing assignment. And it was to design your own government. You know, And by that time, I was boycotting schoolwork. I was just pretty much hanging out there until they kicked me out or I dropped out to see my friends. But that interested me a little bit. So I participated in this assignment and designed my own government. Well, he was trying to teach us right wing, left wing. So the middle of the classroom, you know, on the board was the center. Right wing was towards the wall, you know, where the light switch is. Left wing was towards the window. And he lined up all of our papers where <laughs> they belong on the spectrum. Well, when he got to mine, I'll never forget, he took my paper and actually threw it out the window on the left wing side. <laughs> you know, he said that was complete anarchist uh, <laughs> philosophy. So that's where I'm coming from. Um, I've been against the right wing for so long that it just feels like old news. 
Um, and indeed, I think most of the world is led by a liberal media to mindlessly follow suit. Of course the right sucks. It's worn out, at least in my circles. I mean, everybody, it's kind of a given. It's not, to me, it's not even worth talking about. It doesn't stretch us. You know, when you get a Republican somewhere, of course we know what he's about. He's a capitalist. He's, you know, all these other things. The leftist ideals, however, are taught as though there are salvation from the old oppressive conservative values. Mm. As I've watched leftist ideals take root and gain power over the years, I've been repulsed by where they lead. And again, this doesn't make the rightist any better. I guess I just assume that most of the people hearing me are already against the Republican right. And if they're not, expressing my views will soon separate me from their herd without much effort. I'd rather use my precious breath challenging views that some of our listeners may hold to stimulate questions, thoughts, and debate rather than ganging uselessly up on an established enemy which stretches none of us. It's those goddamn sneaky liberals, wolves in sheep's clothing that concern me more than the blatantly capitalist right. I find that leftist stances are carefully crafted to lure us into believing that we agree with them. If the right sounds like the old Wunzler from the Lorax, the left sounds like Big Brother from Orwell's 1984. Um, Kaczynski helped me develop a lot of what I was already starting to see here, along with Quinn, Jensen, Chomsky, Zinn, Zerzin, and so many thinkers, actually. I mean, what's wrong with equality, rights, welfare, green energy, environmental regulation? The packaging, the PR, is fantastic. Celebrate diversity. What's wrong with those things? After some soul searching and deep digging, everything. Mm. As I study history, I find the left behind the most heinous acts, though I've heard that word is misused, and I may, may be misusing it as well. Um, let's call them the folks who call themselves the left. Co-opting the left as they do all movements against the industrial society, they are so invested in maintaining at any cost. Slave plantations, Indian removal and then forced assimilation, the Red Scare, the founding of the CIA, atom bombs, two presidents with memberships in the KKK. This is the Democratic Party. Mm. The equal rights, and I say that with quotes, of the Democrats have always been a colonist tactic to destroy other ways of life, all the while posing its genocide as a benevolent opportunity for its victims. It was bleeding-heart liberals who forced land allotment on, in, on Indians and demanded their children attend schools where they learned to be ashamed of their own people, all for their own good. It was those paternal Democratic plantation owners who ruled their black children with the firm hand of discipline and God-fearing for their own good. Hmm. And the welfare system keeps a growing number of the poor ashamed dependent, powerless, but protects the rich while subduing the chronic poor. For whose good? Why, their own, of course. <laughs> I oppose the one world, one tribe, one race ideas of the left. The melting pot has been a cauldron of exploited labor and violence since its inception, not for racist reasons of inferiority or mixed marriages, but because I'm a tribalist. Tribalism works and may be the only thing that ever has. People are strongest when we live among our own kind with shared values, heritage, customs, and I mean generally. There are always exceptions, adoptions from other tribes, trade, etc. I mean, just look. We do it naturally, and what's wrong with that? 
You go in a restaurant, you know, you see a table, and for the most part, the black people are sitting together, the white people are sitting together, uh, the rich people are sitting together, the poor people are sitting together, the intellectuals are sitting together, the sports fans are sitting together. I mean, we're wired for that. It's a natural thing, and it was just a trait that kept our, our people, all of our peoples, alive for the bulk of human history. And with strong, intact tribe, I believe interactions between different peoples is healthier because both peoples have a sense of who they are. Look how integration equates to adopting the mannerisms of the dominant culture in our society. Ah, but it's mighty difficult for an empire to control all those proud tribes, especially an industrial empire that models itself after a machine. Instead, we have globalization bringing us a pandemic. We have many kinds of people losing their cultural identities, thrust into the same machine-like mold which doesn't fit any of them, constantly disagreeing about every little thing because none of their customs are honored. Everything is compromised to the state. We have the equal right to be colonized together, even the whites who were once colonized themselves. But it's important that we forget that. Hmm. Even as we're forced together, we're skillfully kept divided with terms like African-American and Native American. But how come not Irish-American or German-American? And let's not forget that Black Lives Matter, while we knock down arbitrary statues of Confederates who nobody likes to mention probably all voted Democrat. Oopsie. Um, <laughs> so these terms, you know, they just keep us apart from each other, even as they're kind of like saying they do the opposite. Black Lives Matter. Yes, they do. All Lives Matter brings us together, but that's not a term. They actually not only don't use the term, they resist that term. That's actually considered a racist term stance now. <laughs> yeah. My first reaction before I heard of any damn movement when I saw that was like, well, can we move into the next paradigm, the one we actually want to live in where all lives matter? But I got accused of being racist with that thought. You know, and there's like all these liberal terms that sound so good, like speaking truth to power. Mm. You know, like if Greta Thunberg would just come in and say the right things, all these rich bastards would just feel bad, like, wow, I never thought about it that way, little girl. Let's change all these policies. Like, that's the problem. People just haven't spoke truth to power. Bullshit. The powerful don't <laughs> give a shit. Um, and to me, this is just one of those liberal tactics that keeps us playing the game. White privilege is another one. I find that the, one of the most racist terms I've ever heard. You know, the way we live spoken as a privilege because what do you do with the privilege well if you're kind-hearted you try to get more and more people to be able to benefit from this privilege what we have is a sickness we should be quarantining ourselves anybody who participates in this way of life you treat everything a lot different when you think of it as a sickness rather than a privilege i find the term white privilege just racist as hell mm. and i think about you know like an intact tribe like maybe the the indians that lived on these shores when the colonists first showed up, if you tried to explain white privilege to them, they'd say, what the hell are you talking about? We don't want any part of it. Um, leftist tactics keep us divided. They keep us looking the other way, and they keep us weak. We're taught to mimic the orderly rows of a monoculture of corn instead of the strong, healthy, diverse tribes of plants thriving free and unaided in a wild meadow. It's unhealthy and doesn't work to treat people like interchangeable machine parts, which just happen to be different colors. We are different, as different as the forests are from the tundra, is from the plains, and that's beautiful. 
but not on the sacrificial altar of civilization which compels sameness, conformity, and obedience to values imposed on us by the end of a gun. Consider theft and gambling among Indians. Among their own intact tribes, these qualities empowered them. Theft among your own people made no sense. Most of what we'd call property was communal and generosity greatly encouraged. But a raid to steal horses from another tribe boosted morale, kept them brave and sharp, and demonstrated to their neighbors their military might with a lot less bloodshed than the way we typically do it. Gambling was fun, community building, and again, encouraged generosity and non-attachment to things. Only in our selfish, property-crazed, consumer-capitalist culture do these qualities become vices. But are these acts absent among us? Hell no. They're only perverted and legally defended to benefit the privileged few. We may illegally steal, and this includes that double-speak word, profit, from each other because, despite the rhetoric, we do not feel like we're among our people, people of our own tribe. We don't even know what that means in this tossed salad of cutthroat capitalism. Mm. These types of views are villainized as politically incorrect and are often condemned as racist, while the liberals' politically correct views continue to fail us in all ways besides the accomplishment of the murder-suicide they keep us engaged in. Likewise, homosexuality. This is a choice that is fine among those who accept it, but I do not believe should be forced on people who don't, particularly debates about gender reassignment, how we identify, and bathrooms. Personally, I think getting your genitals surgically mutilated to mimic something you are not is a profoundly bad idea. Personally, I don't think identifying magically transforms you into something else any more than that I can demand entrance into a private Indian ceremony because I identify as an Iroquois, or that I can shit naked in a park because I identify as a dog. <laughs> Though actually, I do think we should be able to shit naked in parks as human beings. <laughs> To me, this sounds insane and is an evil path that greedily grasps after what we are not, instead of celebrating and exploring what we are. None of this makes me a hate monger. I don't support violence against people who make these choices. I don't even try to stop them through protest. I'm not homophobic. What a loaded word. I don't fear some man penetrating another man's anus with his penis in the house beside me. That's a phobia. And I also say that love between two people of the same sex has never been taboo. Let's unload that baggage right now. War buddies, best friends, Laurel and Hardy, all love each other. We're talking about sex, not love. This does not mean I foster hate. It means I keep my brain turned on, I form my own thoughts and opinions, and I have the courage not to cave in the face of overwhelming peer pressure when I disagree. And when people feel like they can no longer safely disagree, we are describing fascism, which truly is dangerous. I actually, um, you know, people that follow Derek Jensen, you've heard all the attacks he's gotten for questioning queer theory. Um, transgender people have called him a hate monger. He's like lost his publisher. He's been attacked in all kinds of personal ways. And if you think that's an isolated incident, I shared one of his posts questioning uh transgender people and a person that read it that was not even transgender themselves just was one of these great white liberals these saviors that feel like they speak for everyone else um actually contacted my employer at the time and told them that i should not be working with kids that i was dangerous they tried to get me fired oh yeah the ugliest most narrow-minded fascist shit that i've ever encountered come from this group this little 
uh, terrorist cell within the Liberal Party. <laughs> so, so what to do then? Instead of this goddamn nonsense of, all, of us all fighting for a place at the destroyer's table, why don't we ally to fight the destroyers? Without them, I think we'd all eventually find the freedom to be whoever we are without demanding the acceptance of others as we form new tribes. Why don't we find it stranger that we even feel the need to demand acceptance from what we are told are our people? Doesn't this suggest a deeper problem with the entire way we're living? So I see the great emphasis on the sexual preferences of others as one of the lowest of leftist distractions. Our planet is being murdered. I don't give a fuck who you're fucking. <laughs> the spoils of this ugly war aren't to be distributed more fairly. The war must be stopped. Nobody should be feeding or benefiting from it. Welfare fixes nothing. Like green energy, it just enables the system, the problem causing poverty and pollution in the first place. The fact is we all know we don't need greedy capitalism or even electricity. We've just been taught to want it, apparently at any cost. Insensitivity, am I insensitive? I'm watching my neighbors murder the world for better internet service. I may be losing some tact. When you find yourself in a burning house, you don't politely say, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but I just wanted to humbly suggest exiting the house. Mm -hmm. I think we should put it to a vote, then discuss. <laughs> no, you yell, fire, move. War does ugly things to people. I think we all have PTSD, and I'm sick of being polite to cannibals. So does that answer your question? My goodness, it does. Okay. I feel like... I feel like your responses are a collection of essays that should be bound and put on Amazon or something. Oh shucks. <laughs> Maybe and not. if parts of this sounds like I'm reading, I uh, organize my thoughts a little bit because sometimes I get like, I have so much to say and then I hear myself and I'm like, damn it, I missed that. So <laughs> I wanted to make sure I didn't miss anything I had to say. Well, the next question um, I did give you some preparation for. And I remember... Um, this is kind of along with that question, but I was asking Gumby one time, like, how do you, like, fake it till you make it? Like, how do you get that confidence? Because I suck. Like, I don't have a whole lot of confidence. I know this is about you. Um, and I wrote this down. This was actually uh, almost a year to the date. Um, you told me this June of last year. So it says, you said, it doesn't do any good to pretend you can't do it. If you're going to pretend anything, pretend like you can do it. And I thought that was really great. That's why I wrote it down. Yeah, I was about to say, is anybody writing this shit down? Yeah, down? right? Um, but I was just curious, and I'm, I wonder if any of our listeners are curious, like what you feel might be one of your weaknesses. Because huh. you, you have a lot going on. you got a lot going on for yourself. So I'm just wondering, like, what's your kryptonite? <laughs> Let's see. I'm going to have to give some thought to that. <laughs> well, I was born with a freakishly large penis, which mm. does tend to slow me down and sap my energy. Yeah. That's why you take a lot of naps. That's it. <laughs> but seriously, one weakness. Let's see. Um, I'll do you better than that. Let's start with food. Mm. I am a foodie who loves eating out and eating too much delicious food. Um, I have little discipline regarding food and never learn much about health or nutrition. Um, I still make poor choices and have bad eating habits, uh, though Teresa and I are talking about making a weekly menu to try to improve that. 
I got away with it until my late 30s, but it's, it's certainly catching up with me now. Like, my energy levels are low, and, you know, like I mentioned, with what's on my mind, I have, like, worries about my health. My body sometimes does weird stuff it didn't used to. So, yeah, I think a lot of that goes back to, to food and bad eating habits. And I grew up really poor, you know. We had food stamps and stuff, and like a lot of other poor people, you're just like, I don't know what the hell it is about being really poor, but you go into grocery store with those food stamps, and suddenly it's like Cheetos and, you know— I don't know why those poor decisions and welfare <laughs> go hand in hand, but I've experienced it myself. They do for some reason. Life sucks, and I'd rather have comfort food than worry about like eating healthy. I think that's it. Yeah, the comfort food. Um, and there's so many diets, all of them telling you different things. What a bizarre and discouraging situation we find ourselves in regarding food in first world countries. <laughs> but at least we have food or something that resembles it, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Another weakness is my failure to build or participate in community around me. Um, I believe community is very important. I've neglected the work it takes to participate in one. Uh, I still need to try to remedy this, but my social skills get worse all the time. For instance, I too often choose emotion over strategy, like on Facebook. Um, why strategy would be to seek common ground, encourage more conversations, more alliances, but I too often and unwisely emote, condemning the actions and lifestyles of those around me, which alienates potential community. Um, this is childish and stupid. Bad habit, bad practice. Some of my weaknesses I believe I was born with. Uh, mental illness, particularly anxiety, runs in my family. So does addiction. Um, and many of those addictions keep me tied to the very society I'm trying to escape. Uh, addiction to sex is a huge weakness. When I think of the time and energy I've squandered chasing that hungry ghost, mm. um, it's my favorite drug, and there's nothing wrong with sex, but the imbalance of that craving is what I'm describing. Um, sometimes I worry that I'm getting too cold and callous. You know, like you start seeing the world in a certain way and society in a certain way, and you start kind of opening your eyes to the things we're doing to the world and the choices we make that we are working really hard to pretend like aren't choices, um, that we need electricity, that we need cars, that we need to do what we do to the world to survive. And I do sometimes worry that I'm getting a little too out of touch with the rest of my species. And I'm not sure how to remedy that. And I'm not even positive that I need to remedy that because maybe more of us need to jump ship from the, the human <laughs> boat you know, <laughs> I don't know. So I don't know if that's a weakness or not. Um, and pretending the title of this episode, um, I've been, I've done this weird thing since I was a kid. You know, there's a reason why I picked pretending for the title of this episode. Well, a couple of reasons. Um, but when I was a little kid, I would like get lost in this fantasy land in my head and I would stand in a corner or something and start like shaking my hands, um, really forcefully. And one time my dad like saw me, I didn't know he saw me and he expressed concern to my mom, like that I had some kind of problem or something. And that was the first time I remember really being super self-conscious, like, wow, this must look really weird from the outside. And I got so self-conscious, I like blindfolded, like all the things that had eyes in my room. I had a monkey bank. I blindfolded the monkey. If I had <laughs> stuffed animals, I'd turn them around. I didn't want to be looked at because I would pretend pretty frequently and it was an escape. I mean, I would really lose myself in 
you know, I might be thinking about Jedi's. I might be thinking about a movie I watched, some action adventure, something I wanted to do with my life, like hitting the road and being a hobo. Um, but as I got older, you know, instead of shaking my hands, I got to where I just shake two fingers. But when I do it, I would feel my blood pressure raise. I'd feel my heartbeat escalate. If I did it on a hot day, sometimes I'd get dizzy. I could feel it was bad for my body. And several times during my life, I'd like, uh, you know, decide I was going to quit. And I would quit for a little while, but then during stressful times, it's like this weird escape that I just found growing up. And the only thing I've come close to finding, like I I have no idea what this is. I've always called it pretending. Um, And the only thing I've come close to finding that is similar is apparently people that are autistic do can do something similar where they just sort of go into like a a state and they'll often shake their hands. So I don't know if that means I'm like in some ways on the autistic spectrum or what, but it's something I still do. I'll still take a walk and like just start thinking about something. And it's usually not productive. It's just nonsense fantasy and start shaking my fingers. And I won't even realize I took the walk. I was somewhere else. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll like come to and not know where I am sometimes. Um, and I can feel it's bad for my body. I'll get a thumping headache sometimes and everything. Like it really does something to my blood pressure. So anyway, pretending. I just wanted to share that. Like that's definitely some kind of weakness, even though I don't quite know how to identify it. It's a weird thing about me that I've had most of my life. And I wanted something in the title because Teresa tried so hard to share very personal um, authentic things about herself last time. And I was thinking, I wonder if I can do that right from the title, Mm -hmm. share something that like most people, I don't tell anything about this too, because I'm getting to an age now where I'm not embarrassed about too much. You know, I talk about if I shit myself, I talk (laughs) about whatever, you know, it's, I'm just, it's life. (laughs) This body's going to go away. But I spent most of my life being deeply ashamed of pretending. I didn't talk about it. I didn't share about it with anybody. So, you know, just, that was a way of getting my dirty little secret out there. So that's a weakness. And what the hell is that? I don't know. I think I've been weak and not learning more skills that would aid me now, like how to hunt and uh, knowing more about how to work on the van. Um, I celebrate what I have done, but wish I wasn't so lazy about learning the rest. So I think those are some of my weaknesses. Oh, and if I eat after midnight and then I'm exposed to water and sunlight, Sometimes bad shit happens. <laughs> That's why we don't eat after midnight, Gumby. Yes. Um, well, thank you for sharing that, too, because I know that's something, like, I told you, and I guess I don't care. I'll tell the audience, too. Like, I sucked my thumb well into my adult life. and I still see you suck your thumb sometimes. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. I have really, I thought I did a really good job of stopping it. Well, now more, it's like it doesn't really go all the way in your mouth. You just kind of put your thumb, like, up to your lips when you're sleeping sometimes. Wow. And I'm going to be 39. So I don't, like, outright suck it like a child. But if I'm in pain, <laughs> well, this is... This is this is what happens. Like if I'm in pain, like if I'm having a migraine or something, I suck my thumb. And I don't always do that. Like I don't do it. Might I offer an alternative? <laughs> yeah, weed. I know. Um, <laughs> it makes you look way cooler if you suck on a pinch hitter. Mm. <laughs> okay, a pinch hitter. That's what I had. Yeah. <laughs> How about a... <laughs> never mind. Uh, never mind. Never mind. Anyway, but yeah, so like I, I recognize that saying those things, especially to basically the world, um, that takes a lot. So I appreciate that. Yeah, and if anybody else does something similar to that and you hear that, like let me know. Yeah, right. I've to never us. encountered that before. 
Um, I guess I, I wasn't going to ask this right now, but I think it kind of fits because, um, because you told me about pretending a little bit like into our relationship and I had noticed that you would like walk ahead of me and just kind of like leave me in the dust sometimes with your, your fingers moving. And I didn't know what you were doing. I thought you were just like having Gumby time, which you were. And I asked you like, well, what, what are you pretending about? And one of the main, or one of the things that you often pretend about is like superheroes. It used to be, and every now and then it still is, and sometimes it's nonsense. Even now, you know, if I see like the newest Star Wars movie, I might get lost in pretending about some storyline, but I get these really elaborate stories, and I'll go over them over and over. I have characters that are so developed in my head, it's fucking ridiculous. So, and and I won't I won't spoil um all the storylines that you've told me because they are phenomenal. If anyone is a director out there, like Gumby, you should. You really should make some of those into movies. But anyway, um, so superheroes, tell me more about how you see them as a critique on our society and maybe what your superpower would be if you could have one. I mean, other than the freakishly large penis. (laughs) Mm, Let's see. Well, um, one thing we've talked about with superheroes is that I find interesting, um, well, I like that that part in Kill Bill Volume Two where he talks about Superman and he points out that all the other characters, Peter Parker, you know, Bruce Wayne, they put their disguise on to become the superhero, but who they are at night is Peter Parker and Bruce Wayne. But Superman puts his disguise on to be the alternate identity, the fake glasses he doesn't need. When he goes to sleep, he's Superman. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool, you know. So Superman, I feel like, is a really interesting character. Um, and one of the things as I've more and more questioned civilization and society, one of the things that strikes me now is all superheroes fight to protect society. The status quo. The status quo, yeah. Even a society is, without a doubt, murdering all of us, you know, like... If I was a superhero, I would use those powers to take down civilization. And I know there'd be a lot of people who would see me as a villain Mm. in this generation. But I think seven generations from now, there might still be people here probably living a whole hell of a lot better than the way they're living now because of what I've done. I think that's a real hero. And Batman actually explored this storyline with the Dark Knight trilogy where he... uh, he took the fall for killing Harvey Dent to protect Gotham. So they saw him as a bad guy, and then he went into retirement. I think that's a true hero, somebody that doesn't get all the accolades and celebrations of the good guy, but is actually willing to be the bad guy for the greater good. Mm. Spider-Man even explores this a little bit. You know, like New York has mixed reviews on Spider-Man. Half the time they're saying he's a menace, and <laughs> half the time he's a hero. Um but yeah, I think I, I think superheroes are really interesting in a lot of ways in that sense. They kind of represent like our own thoughts. They're a mirror, you know, of what we consider a hero and a villain. And it's interesting that the hero is what protects the status quo. And I remember how I wonder how much of that comes from us as the common people, you know, that we want to protect this way of life, even if it kills us all. And how much of that is actually I wonder, promoted by, like, these people that are studying, like, 
I don't know, Edward Bernays. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to wonder if people are studying how to control the population, how we think, how to sell us things. Somebody's keyed in on like superheroes. (laughs) You know, I can't imagine that that's the one thing that they've just kept their hands completely off of. So I often wonder that. And also we're seeing more and more super villains. Eco villains. Who say things about taking down civilization and all the bad things we do to the world and then prove themselves to be horrible or crazy. (laughs) And the storyline gives us that sense of relief that they were stopped. And the superhero steps in and we all go to a ball game and eat our fucking chili dogs and, you know, get cancer and, and die in all the acceptable ways that we've come to normalize instead of being saved from this way of life. So, uh... Yeah. Does that answer your question? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you could have done, like, flying or invisibility, but I like that. Oh, my power. Yeah, I didn't say what my, I want my power to be. One thing that I always thought was really cool is Wolverine's healing factor. Mm. I think it would be so cool to just be able to heal, to be at the best potential you could be. You don't have to worry about getting fat. You don't have to worry (laughs) about getting old for at least for a while. You don't have to worry about scar tissue, surgeries, none of that. Just imagine what you could accomplish if you knew anything you did, if there was any part of you that was not destroyed, you would just heal from it. I think that would be an awesome superpower. Now, it wouldn't be very powerful. I wouldn't be able to stop civilization with it or anything. Now, if I wanted to stop civilization, maybe like uh, telekinesis, mind over matter. Ooh, nice. I like that. All right. So I asked about your weaknesses and I kind of got into superhero strengths, but what accomplishment in your life are you most proud of or accomplishments? Well, I'm proud of how consistently I followed my convictions during my life so far. Um, Some right turns, some wrong turns, and God only knows where the hell it's all going to lead, but I'm glad (laughs) I've always been able to form my own opinions and uh, had the courage to act on them no matter how crazy they seemed. Um, I'm proud of my defiance, though I'm not always proud of the ways I've expressed that defiance. Uh, I've rebelled, spoken up, made a stand, questioned authority, rocked the boat, and spoken truth to power. Mm. (laughs) Sometimes I wish I hadn't made so many enemies along the way that I'd rebelled more gracefully, more skillfully. However, I am proud of the way I ended my career as a projectionist. They hired me and this little weenie guy named Ryan at the same time. And Ryan just took an instant dislike to me. I don't know if he figured, like, I'm the competition and only one of us is going to make it. But this little this little fucker was cutthroat. Mm. So I would do little things to pass the time between movies, like fold origami. <laughs> and I'd, I'd, like, leave them in the window, the projectionist window, where nobody in the theater could see it. But the projectionist would, like, see some origami brontosaurus or something. I just thought it was interesting, you know? I would like to find something like that. Yeah, it seems like it would improve the atmosphere. So this guy complained to the manager about it. Every little thing I did, he would run to the manager. It's like he was trying to get me in trouble. And one day, I was just so fucking sick of it. So I decided I got to get, I got to even the score with this guy. Um, I went down to the concession stand and I got the big cup. Like they've got those giant cups at the movie theater. (laughs) And I got the thing full of ice and then filled it with water. And I took it up to the projectionist booth, and I got a piece of tape, and I put the tape on the cup, and I wrote brrrr on it. (laughs) Now, the projectionist has a bathroom up there that only the projectionist uses, so you know who the next person is that's going in that bathroom. (laughs) I went in the bathroom and, like, left the door open just a crack and leaned the cup. I put it on top of the door and leaned it against the wall. 
And as soon as Ryan came in, I, uh, I said, hey, Ryan, man, somebody wrote some shit about you on the bathroom wall. <laughs> and then I got out of there. So <laughs> I came in the next day and I looked at my schedule and it was completely clear. And then I got a little call on the walkie talkie like the manager needs to see you. <laughs> it turns out that Ryan walked in there. This thing just doused him <laughs> and he wouldn't play any of the movies. He went to the manager's office and it's just like, look what Gumby did to me. And they had to refund like, I don't know how many movies. Oh my God. So they were just going to, even for that, like all the assistant managers, you know, they were like smirking at me and giving me a thumbs up like, oh, that was fucking awesome. <laughs> but the head manager, of course, he had to take steps and even he, he wasn't that pissed. He was just going to suspend me for a week, but I was I was fed up at that, so I just took that as my 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 go ticket. <laughs> so I was pretty proud of that, <laughs> and that'll always bring a smile to my face. I'm proud of the chicken shed I turned into a tiny house without knowing crap about how to do it, and with it the compost toilet and compost bins, all without spending a dime. <laughs> I worked so hard on that crap, and it was just a box with no windows and a door falling off the hinges. And I put windows in that. I put a wraparound porch. A screened-in porch? Screened-in porch on one side. I mean, it was gorgeous. Like, I just worked and worked and scavenged every damn bit of it. Nails. Nails, everything. And then built the compost toilet, found a toilet seat in an abandoned house. I mean, everything there is scavenged, too. So we were now shitting without plumbing and figured out how to do it with the help of that book. J.C. Jenkins? Uh, humanure, the Humanure Handbook. The Humanure handbook. handbook. Yeah. And then made compost bins, so we're taking care of our crap, and it doesn't smell. It just, you know, it's not a unpleasant chore. Yeah. It's actually kind of nice. You go out there, and you're facing a cow pasture out there, so I was really proud of that. I, I didn't know I would be able to do that that level of carpentry skill, and it was so nice to get out there with no electricity. We had oil lamps also scavenged. Um had a wood stove for a little while in there. And by the way, a lot of that scavenged wood was, it was like antique wood, like the really, really hard wood mm-hmm. um, that we had found in these barns that were around here that were also abandoned. And um, Gumby was cutting that wood with what, a camp saw at <laughs> first? Half a camp saw. Half of a camp saw because the other half, I'm broke. guessing, broke off. And you were also nailing and screwing everything in by hand at first. Mm-hmm. And then one of our um, people that was renting out a room in the trailer was, uh, he was adamant that we use his power tools. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which really helped a lot. <laughs> yeah, I was thankful for him. Um, I'm proud of that time so many years ago in the late 90s that I got out of jail and found an old Schwinn Typhoon in a tobacco barn and rode that one-speed bicycle all the way up to New Jersey to attend my first survival class. Um, I was really proud of myself for that. You rode a Schwinn bike, one speed, all the way up to New Jersey. Found it in a tobacco bar, and I took it to a bike shop and uh, asked them just to do whatever work to make it rideable. So they put a new chain on it, new tires, you know, oiled everything. And, yeah, that little one-speed Pee Wee Herman thing. But it was way more awesome than Pee Wee Herman's. It was, like, black. It was, like, (laughs) the stealth Schwinn bicycle. But, yeah, pedaled that sucker all the way up. Um... I'm proud of all the times I've hitchhiked. Um, I'm proud of the cattail hats I made. I still have one um, sitting on the dash of the van. Um, I'm proud of living on the streets during houseless retreats. And even more proud of all the things I accomplished during survival overnights that I didn't know I was capable of, from getting a fire with no man-made tools or materials, to trapping food with traps I whittled myself, 
Um, and wow, that powerful feeling of self-sufficiency and freedom. Mm-hmm. But I think what I'm most proud of is my impact on kids. Um, it's not even the things I tried to teach, which were mostly incomplete lessons. Um, when I look back at the things I was trying to teach, it's like, eh, you know, I, I don't even, I don't know I try to, if I try to teach the same things anymore. But what I'm proud of is the idle conversations, the questions, and uh, those formative moments when I got to model rebellion and risk and uh, a willingness to try and sometimes fail. I'll never forget this one day I was at um, this park where um, they have camps, and I used to teach there. And many years after that, I was at this park, and I was sitting at a table, and it was under a picnic shelter. And I was looking at this one, you know, this group of counselors going by and this one like shaggy haired camp counselor. And I got to admit, I was thinking bad thoughts about him. I was thinking, <laughs> look at the new counselors. What a what a granola, like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like what a poser. And uh, well, it started to rain. And so this camp ended up rushing under the picnic shelter that I was in. And I was trying to kind of give them their space. And I'm sitting there trying to pretend like I'm reading until I'm about to duck out. But this guy comes up to me and he says, are you Gumby? <laughs> and damn if it wasn't that shaggy haired dude. Oh my God. And uh, I said, yeah. And he said, oh, wow. Like, man, like we all talk about you all the time. Like you are the reason I became a, a camp counselor and environmental <gasps> educator. Oh. Like we're all telling stories about the crazy crap you used to do. Oh and, my God. and man, that was such a good moment. Like that was one of those moments where so often when you teach, or you put something out in the world, you just got to have faith that like it's going someplace good. You don't get to see the fruit. That was one of those rare times that the fruit came back to me. Um, and yeah, I was really proud of that. And I'm proud that I've tried so hard to be authentic, um, warts and all, instead of just pretending, which is the other meaning for me of this title. <laughs> you know, like it's easy to pretend like you're an anarchist or you're dropping out of society or, you know, you're, you're who you want to be instead of who you really are. Um, and I really like that we try so hard not to pretend that the ways that we fail, the things we don't know, that we talk about those and the things that we believe in, we're trying them. You know, it's hard sometimes. We go out there and like we do without a lot of shit, but I like that we're not just pretending, we're trying. There is no try. (laughs) What is it? What's the Yoda? Do or do not. There is no try. (laughs) Well, that's awesome. And it is so true that, like, the things that you try to teach to kids or that you are teaching to kids, they may go well, they may not, but it's, it's like the inadvertent things that they pick up on and and a lot of times really influence the rest of their lives. It's so cool. Oh, that time I sold a bicycle and a California framer from Walmart. I was pretty fucking proud of that. <laughs> you walked right out, didn't walked you? Walked right out the front door. Uh, well, you mentioned about your job as a projectionist and, and some as an environmental educator. Can you describe a little more about your take or your philosophy on work, money, and life? And it could be, I mean, it's, you know, it can be short, it can be long, just... Anything you want to talk about, really, about, like, work, money, and life? Work, money, and life. Wow. All right. Work. Um, I think we need to put effort into something. So in that sense, I think work is necessary. And, like, 
work, as long as it's meaningful, can be joyful. As far as employment to make money, um, more and more I'm realizing that that is not necessary. Like I had a theory it wasn't. There were a few role models out there, but I didn't know if I could follow their footsteps. But more and more that we do this, I'm realizing that employment is not a necessity. Now, to maintain even our standard of living in a van, we're going to need periodic employment. Like gigs, short-term gigs. Gigs, yeah. But you don't have to, like... High-throwing and whatnot. Yeah. (laughs) You don't have to sell your soul to the the company, the company store. Um, So, yeah, I'd say, like, I guess that's my thoughts on work. I mean, I never want to get trapped in work again, although you never know what's going to happen in the future. I, I would be willing to work in a factory or something if that's what I felt like I had to do at the moment. Um... But yeah, I'm, I'm hoping I can put my energy, my work, into things that aren't just the making of money, unless I, I happen to also get money. Like, for instance, now we have to donate on the podcast. Oh, yeah, we'll talk about that. Like, if somebody wants to send us money for that, that's kind of a way of making money by doing something we love. Yeah. So, I, I don't resent that, definitely. Um, money, yeah, money is tainted, no doubt. I think anything you use money for is tainted. Um I think it's awesome to be a freegan to like not spend any money. We are not freegans. We would perhaps like to be. It's sort of an aspiration. Um, but with that said, um, we do enjoy the things we spend with money, like going out to some of our favorite restaurants now and then, getting beer I like, <laughs> um, and of course putting gas in the van. The van is such a every time like we just had a tropical storm come through and. You know, things like that happen, and we're just like, wow, thank God we've got a van. Yeah. I've roughed crap like that, you know, being homeless before without a van, and holy crap, it's rough. You get through it. You know, it's not undoable, but, like, a van, sweet. So, yeah, money. I think it's a a double-edged sword. You can use it to make things happen, but I think it also traps you. Like, I really see why people like Chris McCandless and Peace Pilgrim gave up money altogether and Swalo. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, if I keep following this path, I'm going to see the necessity to abandon it altogether because I already see the pitfalls. And I think a lot of the things I like actually are also pitfalls. I just happen to like those pitfalls, (laughs) like going to my favorite restaurant. Right. Getting beer and stuff. Work, money, and what was the other thing? Life. Life. And let me, and Life is hard. Let me let me give you um, just a moment to reflect, and I'll, I'll say why I wrote this question down. And you'll probably recognize this because I've been bitching about it for the past couple of days. Mm. But uh, uh, a friend of mine, um, my old landlady, she, uh, she had offered, without me asking, uh, to allow me to store a few things at her in her storage shed. And I was like, oh, well, that would be great because then I could get rid of this storage unit, which is, you know, costing me every month. And, and if we're going to the mountains, I don't, I can't even access it. So what am I really even paying for? I'm paying for the ability to like not have to face my stuff in storage. But then she started kind of asking about like, if we're getting any, um, stimulus checks from the government and like, um, why we put a donate button on our website, like how dare we be asking for money for what, for instead of like working at a job and, and like, I kind of got the feeling that she was like taking back her offer to allow me to put stuff in her storage shed. So now I'm giving my stuff away because I'm just, I'm done. I'm ready. 
But I guess my my thoughts started to spiral into that that disconnect that a lot of people have that I know that are like in my inner circle and they're not quite understanding what I'm doing in my life. Like they think, what are they, what are they thinking? Are they thinking I'm just like freeloading? Are they thinking that I don't have any, um, like ethics or values or something? Well, Cause we do have a lot of ethics and values as to why we don't just work any job and why, you know, there's a lot of things that we don't, pay money into. Well, that's part of the, and we have been talking about this a lot lately. I see that as part of the the hardship of the transition we're in. If you have absolutely like escaped society, um, you know, you don't need anything from anybody. So nobody can really feel like you're freeloading on them, but we're kind of like working on it. So like we still have stuff, although we're about to make some big moves, like especially Teresa getting rid of stuff. Yeah. But, you know, I think other people feel like, well, I have to work, you know, like I have to pay my bills. I have to pay rent or whatever. And now you want to use some of my space, <laughs> you know, instead of like chalking up like a fraction of what I have to pay to have a storage unit for your own stuff. Like, why don't you like go get a job? I have to work. Why do you feel like you don't? So right. I think that's maybe where they're coming from. And, you know, I think they've got somewhat of a point, but like you said, I think, you know, it depends on where you stand. We see the picture a little differently, you know, like for me, a donate button is a very low pressure, you know, like if you feel like you can and you want to support us, it's there. It's like the the panhandler with the cardboard sign. Exactly. I don't resent the panhandler with the cardboard sign. I do resent the guy coming up to me while I'm trying to eat, giving me some bullshit story to try to get money from me. (laughs) And I don't think we do that. I, I hope think not. I think we just kind of put it out there, and if somebody wants to be generous, they need to actually be generous. Like when your landlady said that you can store stuff there, that should have been the end of it. Right. She shouldn't have been questioning your lifestyle or anything after that. That was she offered you a favor, and that should have been the end of it. But it also, as as I reflected more deeply on it, and you kind of helped me, you know, lead me to this too, was. Um, I need to look at why I have so much shit. Yeah, that's the other end of it. <laughs> and that's what Teresa came around to. Is like, actually, I think my landlady's kind of helping me without yeah. necessarily meaning to because I need to look at why I'm hauling this stuff around. Like, maybe I can be more free. Like, maybe this is part of my next step is to get rid of stuff. You know, like, my ideal is that both of us have a backpack's worth of stuff and the van. So we're pretty much like at hitchhiking level and just have this van on top of that to like sprawl out our stuff in. Right. But that's not what's happening so far. We have a van full of stuff plus some stuff that we're trying to figure out what to do with. So that's kind of one of our goals right now, downsizing that. And, and the other um, conversation, I know it's, it's past an hour now, but um, you know, she was talking about like getting money from the government. And if we were to get money from the government, you know, would we, give it to people, you know, would we give it to children or would we give it to like homeless people or something? And we are homeless people. Yeah. Right. Would we like, would we even accept money from the government? And I, I just, I kind of was irritated at that because I would take money from the government. That's less money that they have to do whatever bullshit they're doing in other countries. And we both used to work and paid taxes on a lot of crap that we never benefited from. So if some of that comes back like years later, 
I kind of feel like that's what the hell I was getting taxes taken out of my paycheck all those years for. And I doubt we're going to get any money, but it stands... Yeah, I don't think we're qualified. It stands that, you know, there are there are reasons um, why we still spend money. We're still escaping society. We have not yet escaped, like with the gas and with the, you know, restaurants and beer and stuff. But... Yeah, I just feel like there's there's this disconnect with people out there that they're not understanding why we're doing it. And I didn't know if you had anything else to say about that. I mean, we've got so many episodes explaining all the various facets of like why we do this. I don't know that I've got anything to add to it. Like if any of those people cared enough to listen, I'd direct them <laughs> to our our episodes. Um I kind of feel like, for me, I sort of feel like a scout. I'm out there trying new things, seeing how it works, and then trying to report back, like, you know, if you want to walk the talk, like, if you really are done with this bullshit, I don't want you to feel trapped. Because I spent so much of my life feeling like I was trapped. I had to work. I kept trying to quit my job. I'd go live in a tent in the woods, pull ticks off. It was just miserable. And I'm like, there's got to be a way to figure this out. There's got to be some medium ground here. Mm Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm doing something important. I feel like I'm doing something a hell of a lot more important than the drudgery bullshit jobs that I used to have. That did not feel important. That felt like maintaining the machine. And one criticism I get is people will say, and this goes back to Drain on Society, um, that episode that we did first season, Mm -hmm. like, well, you're benefiting from it. All the ways to really be free, the the streams full of salmon, the herds of buffalo, the the opportunity to be around a tribe of people that can live unencumbered, unfucked with out there in pristine wilderness and be able to to roam as they need to. That shit has been destroyed. So what other people are calling benefit, I call necessity. I would love to see a world that heals from this shit. So I'm not forced to benefit <laughs> from the destruction of the earth. I don't want to live this way. We don't want to feed the beast. I want to find a way that I can minimize the way I live this way, if not actually escape it. So if all I can do is minimize, that's something. And like I can read all these books like Deep Green Resistance or other anarchist books that talk about, oh... You know, you think you're just going to, like, practice bushcraft or whatever. Like, you need, you, to go, an, you need to go blow up a dam, which, by the way, we haven't blown up a single goddamn thing. <laughs> so, an, so are you an anarcho-syndicalist or an anarcho-primitivist or an yeah, anarcho- I, I don't give a whatever. shit about any of that. Like, You're I'm doing, doing something. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing what I feel like I need to and learning as I go. And there's always going to be opposition from whatever side, from the establishment or from the so-called anarchist. And... I'm following my heart, and anybody that, like, criticizes that, I say, fuck them both. (laughs) Like, you know, the anarchists like to say, no gods, no masters. That includes the other anarchists. You're not my fucking masters either. So, um, I guess that's my stance on it. It's just, like, we're doing the best we can. And if people want to support that, we appreciate it. It's It's like that Walt Whitman poem. I sing the open road. Whoever accepts me... He or she shall be blessed. Whoever does not accept me, it shall not trouble me. Mm-hmm. I love that line. That's what I'm trying. That's what I'm going for. Hmm. If you don't accept me, that's your baggage. If you do accept me, maybe we can like share something, some exchange, and both benefit from it. Indeed. 
All right, this is the second to last question. And this leads into the question perfectly. So why do you do this podcast? Like what in a nutshell is your message to the world? What do you hope comes of this podcast? Well, I'll try to make this quick because I know we're trying to like, oh crap, we're at 70 minutes. It's okay. We were trying to be firm about 60 minutes and Mm. we're slipping. All right, one of my favorite things about doing these podcasts is how they help us focus on topics that interest us, that we want to learn more about. I figured out a long time ago that I only have so much control of who my message reaches and practically no control over how they receive it, what they think, or if it benefits them. So I try to have fun and learn what I can from them. As long as that is its own reward, I can't lose. And if anyone else appreciates them for any reason or donates, so much the better. It also provides a nice creative outlet. Like most people, I enjoy creating things, and since we don't have our own land to build on, the podcasts fulfill some of that desire. Um, I listen to our podcast periodically, and it drives Teresa crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like, and it's just the way I used to like staring at things I'd built, like, uh, or grass I'd mowed, or, or something I even drew. You know, I just like to kind of like get done mowing the grass, put a little chair out there, and just, ah, look at that lawn. Um, so maybe it is a bit narcissistic, but I derive a lot of satisfaction from the results of my own efforts. Um, Sharing these podcasts is also a way for a couple of introverts like us to reach out and connect with people. I'm hoping we get better at that. The podcast gives me a feeling of higher purpose, which reminds me of survival trips I've been on. If I'm by myself, it's so much harder to get motivated, but to do for others, even a tribe of one other, fuels my motivation with more purpose. I think that's racial memory of the tribal structure we're still wired for. Likewise with the podcast, the feeling of experimenting and researching and scouting out for others gives us focus, reason. I used to get that from teaching, but since I'm no longer teaching, the podcast fit the bill. I hope that some of these topics help us do our part to spread important issues just a wee bit further, like when we did uh, Escape from the Planet of the Humans, for instance, Mm -hmm. um, to add our unique voices and perspectives to these conversations. Because I've learned that it's not just a matter of good versus bad teachers or speakers, but ones who happen to fit you to speak your language. So maybe just the way we talk, you know, our our senses of humor, however we convey this. We might not have new information, but maybe we say it in just a way that sounds like the the people you grew up with. True that. So to me, that's one of the reasons why it's worth getting our message out, even sometimes when I feel like I don't have much new to add to it. Um. And I want to support those people with similar questions who could use another ally and who couldn't. Um, I want to entertain, especially ourselves. You know, like I said, I listen to the podcast and like there are parts of it I think are funny. So, you know, if we entertain <laughs> ourselves, you know, we've, we've met at least one goal. And to help to offer help and share tools with those actively trying to tunnel out and escape this wretched society we didn't ask to be born into. So whenever we find something we feel like is useful, we try to do a podcast on it and maybe even an accompanying video. But that's one of our primary goals with this podcast um, from the beginning is to help other people who are trying to escape society. Let's share tips. Nice. I like that. All right. Last question. If you had it your way, where would you be in two years' time? What would that look like? Well, this is sounding more and more like a job interview. 
<laughs> I used to be a recruiter, so yeah. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> I'm happy to say that I wouldn't want my life to look too much different than it does now, which tells me that I am indeed on to something. Nice. Geographically, I wouldn't mind doing some more local traveling probably within the U.S. Maybe I'd be in North Carolina or getting a creamy in Vermont mm. or looking for moose in Maine, camping in Wyoming's Bighorn Mountains, mm. seeing Alaska again. Passing through California's Redwood Forest or summering in beautiful Flagstaff, Arizona. Um, maybe I'll still be living in a van. Maybe even this van, though we're beating the shit out of it. <laughs> so hopefully I'll have learned a lot more over the next two years and be even better at it. I'd like to find more beautiful locations to park to call home for a while. I'd like to be able to park it safely and leave it more often. Maybe to go hitchhiking. Um, I hope I continue to have more and more bushcraft and scavenging in my life and to gain more independence and freedom through them, as well as a deeper connection to the land. I hope to be more engaged with more people, whether they be activists, hobos, or hillbillies to share a beer with. And I hope in two years' time that I've deepened my animism, that I'm better at speaking the language of rivers and plants, of hearing the voices of wind and fire, and of understanding birds and spirits. So... I feel like I just maybe don't want anything drastically different in two years, but hopefully I'm better at the things that I've already started in two years. Nice. Well, thank you, Gumby, for opening up and sharing all of that. Thank you for those questions, Teresa. And we have a listener write in, which I totally picked out because of our latest addition to the website. So Michael from Washington, D.C. asked, is there a way to donate to your podcast via PayPal? And the answer is yes. yes. (laughs) (laughs) So I finally just bit the bullet and put the damn donate button up on the very front page, home page of our website. And that website is Escaping Society. That's all one word, lowercase dot weebly w-e-e-b like boy l-y dot com so you can donate to your heart's content and gumby will put it toward gas for the van repairs to the van and yeah mostly maintenance and mostly beer no (laughs) maybe a little bit and maybe some taco bell no i don't know but we've already had one person (laughs) donate so uh if you're that person we don't know what your name is but uh if you've donated we've only had one so far so if you donated you're him or, or her. her. Or her. Yeah. So, <laughs> or them. Thank you so much. I don't know if there was a way to thank that person by uh, PayPal. But if not, this is it. Oh, yeah. So thank I, you. I assume you're listening, so thank you. There might be a way. But, yeah, um, we really appreciate you listening, as always. Um, check out our website. We've got a Facebook page, Escaping Society, and a YouTube channel under Gumby's name. And you can find that link also on our website, escapingsociety.weebly.com. We thanks for we thanks you for listening. We thanks you. We thanks you. <laughs> Bye.
So, thank you for listening to our song. It's not very good and it went kind of long. Don't care if you like it because we'll be gone. Over that next horizon. We ain't got no address. Thank mm-hmm. you.